You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Well, today we're going to get into the Word. We're on part two of our series, Dominion. Last week we started this series and we talked briefly about what it looks like to be a disciple. So in the first section of this series on dominion, we're talking about spiritual formation. And really, when we're talking about spiritual formation, we're talking about discipleship. What does it look like to be formed and shaped in the image of Christ, to have our lives be shaped like Jesus? So last week, we talked about the idea that a disciple is one who orients their life around the kingdom of God. The word disciple is the number one moniker used in the New Testament. Over 296 times it's used in the New Testament to describe the people who followed after Jesus, the people who walked in the way. And so we want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to be people who are shaped and formed by Jesus and who orient our lives around the kingdom of God. When we talk from the scripture, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, 26, let me give you a quick refresher here. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Last week, we talked about how Jesus invited all of his disciples by saying a simple phrase, come and follow me. Talk about how Brian Zahn said, Jesus never said, ask me into your heart. Jesus's invitation was, follow me. And so that's the call of a disciple. And we learned last week that the disciple in the first century was one who would be a part of a, a, a Talmudim. The better word is maybe an apprentice to Jesus, someone who would be with Jesus, be like Jesus, do what Jesus did. That's what discipleship was all about. This threefold calling, being with the rabbi, being like the rabbi, doing what the rabbi did. This is the calling that we have as the people of God. Now, when we read Matthew 16, it's something we should hear maybe in verse 24, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take his cross and follow me. I think that we should hear in that the first sermon of Jesus. Remember, his first sermon was simply repent for the kingdom is at hand. So how do we hear that in verse 24? Well, Repent, in my mind, is deny yourself. It means you've got to change the way you're thinking. You've got to change the way you're living. You've got to, you've got to turn, make a 180-degree turn and go the opposite direction. That's sort of the idea of denying yourself. Repent. Deny yourself. I've been living for myself. Now I'm going to live for the kingdom. And then it says, take up your cross. And the cross is the way of the kingdom. It's the way of the kingdom. So Jesus said, repent, deny yourself. And he says, for the kingdom is at hand, take up your cross and follow me. It's sort of that same idea. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, that we repent, that we change the way we live, we deny ourselves, and then we come into the kingdom by taking up our cross and following Jesus. I love how uh, Dr. Glenn Packiam, a friend of mine, how he says this, everybody, he says, everybody likes the idea of a kingdom until they find out it means Across, And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? 
Now, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, let me quickly say what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean um, that we have to carry some sort of burden, that we have to carry some sort of like vow to poverty, or we have to carry some sort of vow to sickness or loneliness that we have to just um, just sort of uh, lay down and say, you know, woe is me. This is my cross to carry. My life is terrible, that kind of thing. That's That's not what taking up your cross means. What it means is simply death to self. Or maybe a better way to say it is absolute surrender. When Jesus says, take up your cross, what the first century disciples would hear was this idea of death to self. And what we should hear is death to self and also this idea of absolute surrender. Jesus said it in Matthew 16, and we all read it, whoever would save his life will lose it. Listen, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Absolute surrender. Take up your cross equals an absolute surrender. Now, we have to recognize that the cross is confrontational. I know in our 21st century, in a lot of our churches, the cross has become sort of this sentimental icon. And so we wear it around our neck oftentimes, or we have it in imagery and in and, and art and, and all this kind of thing. And that's not necessarily wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it, it's a problem if we view the cross just as some sort of sentimental imagery. If it's just sort of some sentimental icon. It's not those things. What the cross is, is the cross is a confrontational invitation, really. It bids me, as the old song says, to come and die. It bids me to come and lay my life down in absolute surrender. Now, let's look at this in regards to a conversation that Jesus had with the Bible describes him as a rich young ruler or a rich young man. And you'll find this in Mark. We're going to read that in Mark um, chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Now, it's also in Matthew 19. I would encourage you to go read it in Matthew 19. It's in Luke chapter 18. So the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record this story of Jesus's conversation with this rich young ruler. And here's what it says. We're picking up in Mark 10, verse 17. It says, Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It says, you know the commandments. This Jesus going on. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, this story of the rich young ruler says a lot. First, let's talk about just briefly how this young man 
runs up to Jesus and with enthusiasm and humility initiates this conversation with Jesus, who is known in the community as a rabbi. So this young man comes and he runs up to Jesus. He falls down on his knees. He takes a position of a student as a learner, a position of humility, and he engages Jesus. He initiates a conversation with Jesus. He says, good teacher, which is an interesting thing to say because that is a unique title. No rabbi was called good at that uh, during that um, time in the first century. They reserved the word good for God alone. And so it's kind of interesting that he falls down and he, he uses a brand new title while he addresses Jesus. He says, good teacher. And, and Jesus says to him, he sort of reminds him, and, and in some ways I think sort of indicates to him that he is revealing something that he may not recognize. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? We know that only God is good. Well, we know that Jesus is God in the flesh. And this young man, perhaps not even knowing, was prophetically declaring that this was the Son of God, that this was the Messiah. As he asked this question, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. Now here in his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He is looking for a system, a way to earn himself salvation. That whatever he has done up to this point, even though he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler and a leader, whatever he has done up to this point has left him wanting, has left him searching and longing for something more. Something is going on in his heart that says there is a greater purpose. There is an eternal life that I am looking for and longing for. So good teacher, good rabbi, what must I do? What is the formula? What is the way that I can work myself towards eternal life? So I'm going to start with Jesus's invitation to the young man. And then let's talk a little bit about his identity and this issue. So Jesus says to him simply when he says, what must I do to, uh, to uh, inherit in eternal life? Jesus's simple invitation is this come and follow me. It's the same invitation that he gave to all of his disciples. It's the same uh, invitation that he's given to us. If anyone desires to, to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, come and follow me. This is the invitation of Jesus. It sounds so familiar because it has always been the invitation of Jesus. It's the same for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the same for this rich young ruler. It's the same for you and me. So Jesus gives him the invitation, come follow me. But spoiler alert, we already read it. The young man sorrowfully rejects the invitation. Sorrowfully rejects Jesus's invitation. And I don't know if, if you are like me, you are probably thinking to yourself, how could this be? This young ruler must know something about Jesus, that he has run to him, that he has fallen on his knees, that he has asked this question from Jesus, that he has called him good teacher, that he is looking for eternal life. And Jesus invites him into eternal life by saying, come and follow me. How could it be that this rich young ruler sorrowfully rejects the invitation 
of Jesus. And then also we have to ask the question, like, why did Jesus add in this invitation, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me? Is Jesus offering him some sort of works-based salvation? Was this a, that he had, this was sort of a, a, a prerequisite to following Jesus was selling all of his, all of his goods and possessions and giving it to the poor. And only then could he follow Jesus. Why did Jesus tell him this before. Let's talk about that because I think it's important that we look through this. When Jesus says, follow me, what he is saying is, I'm looking for absolute surrender from you, right? If anyone desires to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Taking up the cross is death to self, absolute surrender. So when Jesus says to us, says to the rich young ruler, follow me, he is looking for absolute surrender, meaning there can be no competing identities. And herein lies the problem for the rich young ruler, because the rich young ruler has an identity issue. Is a significant identity issue. The rich young ruler has a misplaced identity. He is identifying himself with his morals and with his money. Or you could say he's identifying himself with his principles and with his possessions. However you want to say it, he has a misplaced identity. And I want to be clear here from the from the beginning that Jesus isn't opposed to morals. Obviously, this book is full of ethics and morals and ideas on how then should we live. So he's not opposed to good moral living. Jesus also is not opposed to possessions or money. Not, a, not in the least bit. The scriptures are full of people who have possessions and money. Solomon is a good one. David is a good one. Um, Jesus himself had had a, a uh, Judas who took care of the, the money uh, for their ministry. So th- he's not opposed to possessions. He's not opposed to principles, morals, or money. What Jesus is opposed to, however, is competing identities. So first, let's talk about this idea of this misplaced identity that the rich young ruler has in his morals or his principles. Jesus says to him, you know the commandments, right? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And Jesus begins to list six of the Ten Commandments. Interestingly, he lists the last six of the Ten Commandments, which are the six that deal with our uh, interpersonal relationships with other humans. How do we interact with our neighbors? How do we interact with people here on earth? The first four commandments are how we interact with God. And the last six commandments are how we interact with each other. And Jesus lists the last six of the commandments. Matter of fact, in in um, one of the accounts, I think it's in Matthew, Jesus also adds, love your neighbor as yourself, which we know in Jesus's mind is one of the two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. And so he lists the commandments of how are you engaging with your neighbors? How are you interacting with other people? And as he lists, you know the commandments, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't covet, you know, don't, don't uh, bear false witness, love your name. He's listing all these things. Yeah, I could see the young, rich, young ruler going like, yup, check, check, did it, done, I'm there. And he says to Jesus when he finishes, I've done all of these since my youth. So here I am, I must be 
I must have earned my way to this eternal life because everything you've mentioned, Jesus, I have kept. Not only have I kept it, I've kept it from my youth. In effect, he's saying, I have been perfect in regards to the law. There's sort of a little bit of self-righteousness maybe you can hear in this rich young ruler's um, a speech. Maybe he was trying to justify his life. Maybe he was trying to get a little bit of a of a security in the things that he had done up to this point, thinking that maybe Jesus would pat him on the back and say, well, then well done, good and faithful servant. You have earned eternal life because you have kept the law. But that is not what Jesus does. In one of the accounts, after Jesus says, keep all the commandments. And the young man says, I've done that from my youth. It says that then the young man asked, what do I still lack? Why then, if I've kept all these commandments, is there still something missing in my heart? And Jesus looks at him and says, you lack one thing, or you still lack this one thing. And then Jesus begins to talk to him about his money or his possessions. Jesus says to him, hey, I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to give it to the poor. And and then I want you to come and follow me. And the scripture says that the young man, this rich young ruler was disheartened. He was sorrowful because he had great possessions or he was extremely wealthy. He had great possessions. May, May I say to you today that the great possessions actually had him. He thought that he had great possessions, but really these great possessions had control over him, that his identity was misplaced in the things that he owned, in his money, in his possessions, in his great wealth that he had acquired. And so because he had all of these possessions, because he had placed all of his identity in this wealth that he accumulated. When Jesus called him to absolute surrender, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, all of a sudden he became disheartened and sorrowful because the possessions were everything to him. Now, you might think to yourself, well, this is great. Like, I get it, but I'm not rich So because I don't have great possessions or great wealth, maybe I am off the hook. And I would say to you, not so fast. Let's talk a little bit about how this story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, this conversation that they have is relevant to us today. How is it relevant to me today? Even if I don't have, uh, haven't amassed this great wealth or great possessions, how is it relevant to me today? Well, we too have a propensity to find our identity in our morality, our self-righteousness, and in our money. Matter of fact, God, or Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. And what was he comparing? He was comparing God and mammon or God and money. It's the only time he's ever compared something alongside himself. He's like, look, you're going to serve one. You're going to hate the other. You're going to love one. You're going to hate the other. And so we have a propensity in our hearts to find our identity in our morality. Look at the good things that I have done. And in our money, look at the the possessions that I have amassed for myself. 
And I would posit to you today that Christianity in America has in many ways become this sort of consumer-driven um, uh, uh, church, this sort of consumer-driven market, if you will. We're not challenged very often anymore in the American church to absolute surrender as Jesus challenged this rich young ruler. No, oftentimes what happens is we're sold some sort of easy prosperity gospel. This sort of, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be uh, healthy and wealthy and blessed and all the good things are going to happen. It's going to be puppy dogs and rainbows and unicorns, right? It's going to be, everything's going to be fantastic. And that's just not the truth. Following Jesus isn't about rainbows and puppy dogs and unicorns. It's not some sort of fairy tale. Following Jesus is about absolute surrender to the kingdom of God, orienting my life around his kingdom. And so we've been sold this sort of idea of this prosperity gospel. And so what plays in our mind oftentimes in our Western um, Christianity and our Americanized church ideas is what's in it for me? What do I gain? out of this moment. And unfortunately, we live in a culture, including in our churches, that is caught up in entanglements. It's caught up in prosperity and wealth and possessions. Now, these entanglements aren't necessarily bad things. We've talked about that already. Having possessions or wealth aren't bad things. But... If they're entangling us, if they are distracting us, if they are draining the life from us, if we found ourselves in this position of gross consumerism, where we're constantly saying, what's in it for me? Well, I didn't like the music at that church, or I don't like how the pastor taught at that church, or I didn't like Joe who came to that church. You know, whatever it is, we get this consumer. So we go from church to church to church, or we go from life group to life group to life group, or we go from ministry to ministry to ministry which is very easy to do right now because so many churches are online because of COVID. And so we're like, well, I don't like my church this morning, so I'm gonna go to church in Australia. What's happened is we've been, we've been sold an idea of consumer Christianity and it's an idea we must reject because if we are to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, we must take up our cross. We must wholeheartedly surrender ourselves absolutely to his kingdom, which means that we throw off things that entangle us. Maybe not bad things, but distracting things, life draining things, the gross consumerism that has been sold to us. The writer of Hebrews said it like this, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Some versions say throw off every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, which so clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand uh, of the throne of God. So notice it says every weight, 
and the sin. So there's two different things that entangle us, that keep us from running this race, that keep us from being disciples of Jesus, that keep us from absolute surrender. There's sin, but there are also entanglements, weights, things like what this rich young ruler had, an identity that was placed in his possessions, that was placed in his principles, in his morality, in his money, that he thought based upon him being a good person that he was going to make it. And Jesus calls us into absolute surrender. Throw off the sin. Throw off the weights and entanglements so that we can run the race. And in running the race, we look to Jesus who did what? For the joy set before him endured the cross. Absolute surrender. Jesus showed us the way. Now, in closing, I do want to talk about this briefly because it gets missed, I think, in this story. And that is this. Jesus didn't just offer the rich young ruler an invitation. Jesus offered him an intimate invitation. Remember earlier, Jesus responded, or the, the rich young ruler responded, what do I still lack? And we never really asked that, answer that question. Jesus said, you lack this one thing. And we never answered the question, what is it that the rich young ruler still lacked? And I would say that the thing that he lacked was intimacy with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. He didn't love Jesus enough to follow him. He didn't long for Jesus or eternal life found in Jesus enough to follow him. Jesus, the scripture says, looked at him or looking at him, loved him. Jesus, he says, what do I still lack? And Jesus says to him, looks at him, loved him and said, you lack this one thing. And then Jesus invited him into an intimate relationship with him. Come and follow me. The whole idea of the possessions, the cell wasn't because Jesus was offering him some sort of checklist. No, what he was doing is saying, these things are keeping you from following me, from absolute surrender with me. I want to invite you into an intimate relationship. Come and follow me. Jesus is offering him this incredible, intimate invitation. And I believe that that part of the story is sort of the key to the entire story that Jesus was offering this sort of intimate, unconditional love invitation. Jesus is love and every invitation from Jesus is an invitation for us to be fully loved by him. This is why it's so sorrowful, why we feel for this rich young ruler who walks away disheartened and sorrowful because he missed the opportunity to be loved deeply and fully to come into an incredible relationship with Jesus. Jesus wasn't offering him some sort of checklist to eternal life. Like, listen, if you follow the commandments, if you sell your possessions, if you give to the poor, bingo, you've got it. No, that's not what he was doing. Jesus was offering the young ruler himself. Not follow the rules, follow me. It was an intimate invitation from Jesus. I love how Eugene Peterson says it. He says, Jesus' command, follow me, was an invitation to learn how to receive God's love 
and let that be the centering focus of his life. I think we can ask ourselves similar questions. What do I still lack, Lord? Am I willing to surrender? Do I have identity issues? Do I have entanglements that are keeping me from absolute surrender? Am I willing to take up my cross and follow Jesus? The rich young ruler walked away full of sorrow and disheartened because he had great wealth or because the great wealth had him. What he didn't really know and understand was that true joy and eternal life is found in following Jesus. Church, I want to encourage you. Give yourself over in absolute surrender to following Jesus. Orient your life around his kingdom and his kingdom alone. Let's pray. Father, we invite you, search us and know us, O God. Jesus, we thank you for the invitation to follow you, to know you intimately, to be fully known by you, fully loved by you in this intimate relationship. Help us to lean into that. Show us where we are entangled with things that will keep us, that hinder us from following after you. And help us, Lord, to lay those things down so that we can take up our cross and follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, before you go, let me pray this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.